We're starting a new sermon series this week. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus or Christ in the Old Testament. And Christ and how he's expressed in the Old Testament, how the Old Testament looks toward him and talks about him and draws from him. So it, it makes a little bit of sense that we're going to start in Genesis today. And this is a passage that I have taught multiple times from multiple angles. But how do you do Christ in the Old Testament without talking about the first mention of him? And so he is in there whether you know it or not. And so it's very easy for us to think about the Bible as Old Testament, God is grumpy. New Testament, Jesus comes, God is happy. Right? We kind of separate the two worlds. It's like that's in the old days when God was doing crazy stuff and parting the Red Sea and all. And then Jesus comes and Jesus tells everybody God loves them and the world's kind of happy because Jesus came. But what we don't realize is that the whole redemptive story is the story of God's plan to redeem. It starts all the way in the early part of Genesis and goes through, and you'll see as we talk about it in the next few weeks, Christ is presented in the Old Testament. And so when we read Genesis, you know, nowadays Hollywood makes a movie. You get to like the character. You get to find out all about the character. And then they got to go back and do the prequel or the origin story, Right? We got to have five more movies about how this character got to where he was in the in the movie that made a million bucks because we got to make more million bucks off the thing that worked. <laughs> so our, we we like prequels, we like origin stories, we like knowing the backstory. Some people go, no, I don't want to know the backstory; it kind of ruins the story, you know. If you read the Old Testament, especially if you don't have the light of Jesus or understand Jesus in the Old Testament, then the passage we're going to read looks like an origin story of how we became bad and sinful. But that's only a piece of the story, and it is, in some respects, an origin story. It is how evil enters the world. Those things are true, but it's not the whole picture. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to lay this out. It's like, did you know that Jesus was in, in the Psalms? Did you know that Jesus is in the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Did you know that Jesus is in the Genesis passage we're going to read today? In other words... The Old Testament points to Jesus. New Testament points to Jesus. And so that's where our life and our orientation of our Bible is found. And yes, it is an origin story. And if you were a Hebrew listening and reading the book of Genesis, that's exactly what it would sound like. How did we, God created the heavens and the earth? Okay, that's how we got here. How do you expand that origin story? You know, that'd be interesting. How we got here. And then he places Adam and Eve in the garden. And they choose to disobey God, which is where we're picking up the story today. In fact, we'll read the disobedience part of it. This is Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did, you, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you will die. But the servant said, serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then their eye, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, 
And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God said, called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I have heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said to him, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me, who gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate it. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because of you, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all the wild creatures. Upon your belly shall you go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. And in pain you shall bring forth children. And yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree. Just a dramatic pause there, I promise. About which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and you are, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made garments for the Garments of skins for the man and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil, and now he might reach out and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent, forth, sent them forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Okay, I read 23 too, but so sue me. All right, so there's your story. That's in the context of Adam and Eve are placed in a garden to be in a relationship. And the Hebrews would have heard this exact story. As God creates humankind for a relationship, they blow, they blow the relationship. They have a special place. They have a special relationship with God in the prequel to what I just read. They're in the garden. They're given good work that's not hard work. They're given everything they need to eat. We call it Paradise, when we talk about it, right? They had no worries, no concerns. They were always in God's presence. God always provided them with everything that they need. He gave them a purpose, and He gave them some rules to obey. One primary rule, which is don't eat this one tree. So they have a relationship with God that's without blemish. And God is protector, provider, guide, and friend, and he said, we implied from what we read later, they used to hang out together in the garden. The special presence of God would walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, like physically, like manifest himself. When we get into the story, it's like he was walking in the garden, Adam heard him and hid. That implies that was a thing they did before the fall. God invites Adam and Eve into a particular relationship that is supposed to look a particular way, and He calls them His children. 
He invites us into the same thing. None of that has changed. We're invited into a relationship with God, and we are called His children. So the story we read is a disruption of that idealistic relationship. All right? So the garden is great. Everything is good. All the, tree, all the fruit you can eat, whatever, whatever the buffet is, right? Nothing to worry about. Just don't eat from this one tree. And evil and personified, the serpent, however that's characterized, whether it's metaphorical or not, the serpent comes to them and says, hey, did God really say you can't eat from this tree? And she, Eve says, yeah, but if we, if we even touch it, we'll die. The serpent's like, Psh, that ain't true. That's not what God really meant. He meant that if you do that, then you'll be like him. You'll just want, you'll be able to see good and evil the way God does. He's, he's holding out on you. By the way, that's how temptation works, right? We think if we're going to disobey God, it's because we're trying to get something that being a Christian or being right keeps us from getting. Does that make sense? Like we think, oh, if I do this, I will gain this. And we decide when we sin that that's worth more than the obedience. And so Adam and Eve, or Eve in particular, the way the story lays out, looks at the tree and goes, okay, I know I'm not supposed to eat from it, but there's something more valuable if I do. And so I'm going to trade obedience for God for whatever this is this serpent is telling me is really true. So the serpent has managed to discredit God, to let her think, to get her to think that God's word is not what it's supposed to be and it's not true that he's holding out and there's something better on the other side of this decision. How many times in our life have we said, it won't be so bad if I do this because we just assume life on the other side of whatever that decision is is better than what we're at right now. And then when we cross over, we find out something totally different. Maybe that's just me. You get offered something, you get an opportunity to do something you know is wrong, but you just think, it'll be way better if I do it, and the consequences won't be that bad, will they? And then you do, and you find out just how not green the grass is on the other side. So by disobeying, Adam, by disobeying God, Adam and Eve have basically chosen to align themselves with the serpent. Now think about it for a minute. They've, got, they've gone over to the side of the serpent by disobeying God. God was providing, God was protecting, God was giving them a purpose, and God was with them. And they traded that for some fruit. Hoping to obtain the wisdom of God, the serpent promised them. They've changed teams. They're no, they're, they're, and you know it's happened true because of the way the story plays out. God shows up in the garden like he doesn't know what's happening. I love the way the story unfolds. Yeah, God shows up in the cool of day, Adam, where are you at? Like he doesn't know, right? And Adam's like, I heard you, so I hid. And God's like, why did you know you have to hid? hide? Hid. That's bad grammar. Why did you know you had to hide? Did you eat something you weren't supposed to? Well, in Genesis 3, the spousal blame game has already started. My wife gave it to me, so I thought it was okay. <laughs> and what does the wife do, though? Well, the serpent gave it to me. Like, I'd rather go to Walmart than the serpent's menu. You know what I mean? But the wife, he's like, well, the serpent did it. It wasn't my fault. 
Does God come back on them, though? He turns to the serpent and goes, Cursed are you of all animals because of this. From now on, on your belly you'll crawl. He gives them a curse. He curses the serpent. He declares a curse upon them. But this presence, this protection, this alignment with God that they had has now been broken. They're now on the other side. But as soon as that happens, and he lays out the curse on the serpent and says, because of this, this is your deal, he turns to Adam and Eve and he lays out some pretty heavy consequences too. To the woman, I will now greatly increase your pain and childbearing, which implies there was going to be pain, but now it's worse. Sorry, ladies. Right? And he looks at, he looks at Adam and says, you know, the trees just like bear fruit. You don't have to really work for them. You can just eat anytime you want to, like all you can eat buffet at the resort all the time. Now you're by the sweat of your brow. Yard work is the fault of Genesis 3. The reason you have to kill yourself in August to pull the weeds out of your yard, it's all Adam's fault. That's what the consequence basically says. The ground is now only going to produce fruit if you work by the sweat of your brow to obtain it. What's been changed? God's Adam's relationship with work. Before it was like, this is my work for the day. I'm done. Now he's got to sweat to obtain it. It's been messed up. And so you can see the consequences that come from the fact they decided to change teams. But as soon as they did, did God go, oh, well, they screwed up. Let's start over. He could have. You do realize that, right? God's a holy God. God's without sin. God could have just said, they failed the test. Let's do day one all over again. That was within God's power to do that. But that's not what he does. Verse 15 of the chapter we just read is kind of our key verse. It says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So as he's laying out the curse of the serpent, before he even turns to Adam and Eve and gives them the consequence, he says, I am now putting hostility between you and the seed of the woman. Now you could read this. A Hebrew could read this is why we hate snakes Anybody? <laughs> right? Yeah, we don't have great relationships with snakes. There are people who do, and that's just weird. If you have a pet snake, we should talk later because I don't understand that. But humankind has been put at odds with the serpent right there in that verse. He says, I will put enmity between you and the, and the serpent's offspring. Now, it's not just about snakes. That's not what the origin story is about. In fact, he's not even talking about snakes when he says offspring of the serpent. There are now two groups of people in the world for the rest of redemptive history. Remember, I told you Old Testament, New Testament is really one story, not two. We break it in our head. You know, back the, the number three in Genesis wasn't on the original scroll. You roll it out. It's not like it said one, two, and three in little headings and commentaries and study Bible. No, none of that was there. It was just the passage in Hebrew, right to left instead of left to right. One long scroll. We had no divisions there. All that stuff we added later to understand it, to be able to find it quicker. Where is he talking about that? Oh, let's put a three here so we can find it. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's just us being smart. So it's an origin story. Now there are two groups. And so a Hebrew hearing this would understand that now there's the people of God, they obey God, and the people who disobey God. 
two groups. Which brings us to a really important question. What does this story, as an origin story that the Hebrews would have understood, first of all, what does it reveal about God? Because it's taught us a lot about our own choices and consequences. But if God looks at the serpent and says, now, this is how this is going to play out, what does that tell us about God? Because he could have started over. Instead, he immediately puts a plan in place to bring the children who have changed teams back into the graces of God. He says, I will set enmity between your descendants and mine. What is he talking about? He is talking about those who belong to God and those who belong to the enemy. We're not talking about snakes anymore. And so all of Bible, all of human history, all of redemptive history is this power play between the serpent and God. And between the seed of the woman and the seed of the man. Now that sounds like, okay, and that's why, there's your, there's your prequel. That's why we're sinful. That's why we're bad. That's why work is terrible. That's why there's pain in childbirth. That's all, there's your origin story, right? And if that's your whole picture of God in the scriptures, then that's all you've got is an origin story about bad stuff. But notice something. The, t- the, the pronoun changes in the middle of the verse. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Typically in the Old Testament or even in the scriptures, when it talks about descendants or when it talks about the seed of someone, it speaks in terms of a general plural nation. The nation of God, the people of God is the seed of Abraham. They'll be like the seed of Abraham will be like the stars, right? So that's generally how it talks about it. Verse 15 God goes, he will crush your head. Spoiler, (laughs) who's the he? Why is it one person? Why is it singular pronoun and not plural? Because God, as soon as they have rebelled and as soon as he's laying out the curse for the serpent, is already looking to his son to redeem and restore the children of God. The he in this story is Jesus present in the story of Genesis 3. The he he's referring to is Jesus. He's already looking to how this is going to work. He already has a plan. I, you're, The descendants of the woman, those who belong to me, in this particular case, he who belongs to me, will crush the enemy. Now what could he be talking about? When he says, but you will strike his heel. Because we are watching the prequel and we know how the story plays out. And we know this is an origin story. This is for episode one to our episode six. (laughs) Right? Because we know that, we know that he is Jesus. And we know the heel strike is the crucifixion. Do you not think the enemy won when Jesus died? That the enemy thought he won when Jesus died? Look what I did took out God's son. Because don't misunderstand anything about this power struggle. It's not like Satan is just as powerful as God and they're going toe to toe. This is not Greek mythology. God is God. The enemy personified as a fallen angel who is limited in his capacity of understanding power and presence. He can't be everywhere. He's not, he does not have the characteristics of God. He's not omnipresent. He's not all powerful. He's not all knowing. Satan has to have help because he doesn't know what's going on. There's a whole other sermon series we could do, right? 
In other words, we tend to give him too much power and place in our life. The enemy's attacking you this week. The enemy doesn't know where you are. Now, his people, his minions might, but he's limited. And we know he's limited because God, in time, hasn't even had the victory yet. Jesus hasn't been born yet. The writer of Genesis didn't know who he was. But God made a promise to Adam and Eve that her descendants would crush that enemy. It's going to happen. And when God gives a promise, when God puts a plan in place, God cannot fail in his promises or plan. Period. No debate, no discussion. So as soon as verse 15 is rolled out, we know how the prequel ends. Y'all know I'm a sci-fi nerd. When Anakin meets Obi-Wan, we know how that turns out. It's like, oh, that's how they met. We know what's going to happen later. Same thing with the Bible. When God is pronouncing this curse on the serpent, we know that the he is Jesus who has victory over the enemy. God cannot fail in his promises or plans. So this story completely changes in the light of Jesus. It's an Old Testament story. It's a background story about how sin and evil entered into the world and why we still have trouble in relationships. I've done this before, but if I go through all the consequences, our relationship with God gets distorted. Our relationship with each other gets distorted. I've said this before, dating drama, Genesis 3. Yard work, Genesis 3. (laughs) It's a basis for understanding the world, right? That even if we belong to Jesus and we desire to do right, sometimes we still mess it up because of what happened in this passage. But the good news is there are now two groups of people, those who obey and are in relationship or in restored relationship with God and those who are not. And when you follow this, this literally becomes a thread or a theme throughout the Old Testament and the New. If you start tracking through the stories of Genesis, and they may not all come to your mind, but Adam and Eve's kids are Cain and Abel. Know what happens between the two of them? Cain kills Abel. See the woman. See the serpent. Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. Isaac, seed of the woman. Ishmael, seed of the serpent. I mean that Ishmael was a bad dude. There's these two groups of people. By the way, Ishmael was born out of disobedience to God. So it's not that Ishmael's bad. It's that Abraham didn't trust God's timing and had Ishmael. That's a whole other sermon series. In fact... Uh, Drew Holland's preaching next week, who's an Old Testament expert. He's doing the patriarchs, so I'll leave that for him, okay? But if if you follow the thread, you realize you start reading these Old Testament stories, it's like, oh, people of God and the threats against them. And then the Old Testament stories start to make sense. Well, when you look at Genesis 3 and you realize that he is talking about Jesus as a seed of Eve, born of the woman, the Gospel of Matthew does the biography, right? From Adam all the way up, or Luke does. One of the two goes all the way back to Adam. I can't remember which one it is. Bear with me. But but those those biographies are there. They trace it all the way back to the origin story. And Jesus is a descendant of Adam and Eve. And he's the one that crushes the enemy. God cannot fail. We have a promise from God. We have a pivotal pivotal moment in the redemptive history that's fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. All of scriptural history leading up to Jesus 
is fulfilled by him. And all of scriptural history after Jesus is us living in that fulfillment. It's not that God was grumpy and now he's happy. It is this was the story in the first place. And you have moments in redemptive history where the story changes. Adam and Eve sinned. Abraham has Isaac and Ishmael. David becomes king. I'm giving you the fast version of the Old Testament, right? You see how that works. The nation of Israel is founded. Solomon, prophets, rebellion, being carried away. And then one day the Messiah comes and the Messiah fulfills everything that had been promised in the Old Testament. The original plan was messed up. But there's an important spiritual truth. We ask, how do we see this in light of Jesus? There's one thing that it reveals about God and Jesus. Whenever God has judgment, whenever God has declares something wrong, that same judgment is mixed with grace. That verse 15 that this chapter turns on, God is pronouncing curse on serpent. He's pronouncing consequence on Adam and Eve. But in the middle of that layout is the story of grace. Jesus is in the middle of the Genesis 3 story. So yes, it's judgment. I'm judging you for this. I'm giving you consequences for disobeying me. But I'm not leaving you in that disobedience. I've laid out my curses. I've laid out my judgments. But here's the way out of that judgment. It's the seed of the woman. He will crush the enemy. He will crush sin. He will crush evil and death. And one day you'll be able to wipe away every tear from your eye and be with God again. Because the story of Eden in verse 22, in the verse, first part of this verse, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden. There they are. Woo! You know, unlimited buffet, everything's great. The fall happens. And our story ends with them being expelled from the garden. But if you read those last two verses, what is God doing as he's expelling them from the garden? He clothes them. He promises them restoration through Christ. He sets them up. God, even in the midst of our rebellion, doesn't stop being the God who protects, provides, asks for obedience, and is present with us. One of the ways that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament is we call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We say at Connection that best of all, it's not like we made that up, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's a reality that's still true after the fall. It was true before the fall in a special way. And it's true after the fall. If we are in Christ, then we're in the group that's the seed of the woman. And we have hope. We have God. God is with us. God is Emmanuel with us. The he, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that statement. God with us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we rest in the truth that even when you pronounce judgment over things that we do, you deliver that judgment mixed with grace. We rest in the truth that Jesus is the original plan and fulfillment of all you intended for us. And we rest in and find hope in the fact that you are always with us. You are Emmanuel. And so we rest in those promises today. And we rest in those truths about you. 
And we pray that you will be with us as we fulfill your purpose and plan. In Christ's holy name, amen.